All right. <clears throat> if there was one chapter in the Bible that I'd like to not preach, it's the one I get today. But it's okay because when we're honest and full of integrity, we have no choice but to take the text as it comes. Because what it really comes down to is this. Do you believe the Bible is the authoritative word of God? I do. I do. I do, and it is, whether you believe it is or it isn't, but because the word of God is true. The problem is you talk to people, and the, if, if you ask the pastor, you say, hey, do you believe the Bible is the word of God? And they say, no, well, that's easy. You can just leave. But if they say, well, we think it contains the word of God, you need to run even faster. Because it sounds good, but what it says is, I'm God. And I'll let you know what parts are really the word of God and which parts you don't have to worry about. Well, that's just not how it works, folks. And when you're honest with the, the Bible, you have to take what comes. And I told Cord last night, I should have just given this chapter to you and I should have gone somewhere. But nonetheless, uh, we're going to take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And uh, there's some major, major problems in the church. But I want us to, <clears throat> to read this together first. This is a guy named Shane Pruitt. He's a pastor and put some really good stuff out online. And I get us to read this together just to help you think right here. Ready? People didn't yell, crucify Jesus because he was really nice, tolerant, non-judgmental, all-inclusive, and affirming. People yelled crucify because he claimed to be God, said that he was the only way, called out sin, and rejected what culture and religion had accepted. And we live in a time, and churches call themselves affirming. They call themselves progressive. What they really mean is we don't believe the Bible. And it's a tragedy playing out that they're not getting the truth, they think they're, they, they're going to church, but I'm not sure what they're actually getting. Because if we're honest, then we have to take the text. And it comes down to this. If when it comes down to it, it's the Bible and me, I have to always assume I'm wrong. That's tough. That is tough for this culture that thinks they know everything. To say, I'm wrong and God's right. This past week I did a little, I was on a road trip, I had to visit some of our churches. And I'd never been uh, to Naples. Um, I'd been down to South Florida, but never been on Alligator Alley. And I wanted to drive Alligator Alley. Y'all been there? Everybody been down there? Well, just the name, and I didn't know. You get down there and you go through and there's actually a sign that says, you're entering Alligator Alley. Well, that's, it's a little unnerving when you go through that sign. You know, you know they're all around you. Uh, in fact, did you see the alligator uh, in Ave Maria, the city where the alligator attacked the golf cart? Did you see that video? Yeah, I was in Ave Maria that night when that, when that story happened. It's right east of Naples. Um, and I, so I get on the alligator alley and I'm a little ways out and the, and the exit says, Snake Road. <laughs> no, no. And I know there's bears. We all know there's bears around down there. I go a little bit further and it says Florida Panther Preserve. And there's a fence about this high to keep the panther in. <laughs> and then I kid you not, the next sign says hiking area. 
No. Just no. Some, some things are just wrong. In fact, incorrectly is spelled incorrectly in every dictionary in the world. Did you know that? Incorrectly is spelled incorrectly in every dictionary in the world. It certainly is. And that's what I felt like down there. I'm like, oh my gosh, everything on this road wants to kill me. We're not stopping for gas. We're not stopping for bathroom breaks. We're not stopping for anything. It's crazy. And yes, we do. We live in it. That's why this state didn't develop for a long time. We had to figure out how to move some animals out of the way so we could try to, to live here. That's sort of how Paul feels right now about the church in Corinth. And he is going after them. He is going to attack what is what is playing out. And the problem is that the culture has come into the church. Now remember this, the job of the church is to reflect Christ and change the culture. The culture should never be allowed to influence the church. Are you with me? Does that make sense to you? All right, stand out of respect for God's word. Here we go. Gonna read the whole chapter <clears throat> because nobody's going to get off the hook here. Paul says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that does not occur even among pagans. He goes, There's stuff happening in the church that doesn't even happen in Corinth, which is hard to fathom. A man has his father's wife, so it's his, it's his stepmother. And you're proud Shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief and have put out, your, put out of the fellowship the man who did this? Even though I am not physically present, I'm with you in spirit. I know what's going on, and I've already passed judgment on the one who did this, <clears throat> just as if I were present. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present. Hand this man over to Satan so that the sinful nature may be destroyed and his spirit saved. Now leave that, leave that slide up there. Look, look at Paul's concern. That his sinful nature may be destroyed, but what? That his spirit will be saved. All right? Paul's not, Paul wants this guy, to, he wants everybody to be saved, okay? Be saved on the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast that you may be a new batch without yeast, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. I have written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy or swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I am writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother but is sexually immoral, greedy, an idolater, slanderer, a drunkard, or a swindler with such a man do not even eat. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked man from among you. Wow, you can be seated. Now, 
Because I know the end of the story, and a lot of you probably don't, I'm going to tell you how the story ends. It ends in the book of 2 Corinthians, which we'll get to in about six months from now. And about halfway through the book, Paul brings up this guy again. And this guy has completely repented. He has changed his life. He's now following Jesus. Not because they affirmed his sin, but because they confronted his sin and helped him get right. And so he wanted to get right with Jesus. Now let me, let me explain this to you because I've been doing this for 40 years. And in 40 years, I think I've probably gotten to that last sentence twice. Because usually when you have hard situations where there's blatant sin in the church and you go to somebody, they repent. If they don't repent, most of the time they'll remove themselves. They're, I mean, here's the deal. It's not like they have the first church of Corinth, the second church of Corinth, the Presbyterian, the Methodist. There's only one church. So for this guy, he can't move down the road and keep living in sin. If he's gonna be in the church, he's gonna have to get right, right there. All right, now, what is the problem with this guy? Well, yes, he's having an affair with his father's wife, his stepmother, and uh, they applaud it. Now, that doesn't seem weird to you. They're, they're, they applaud it. He says, you should be grieving. Well, it would seem, this is the only thing I can get out of this, is that this guy must have been somebody pretty powerful. He must have been somebody well-connected. He must have been somebody wealthy. Uh, remember, this is Corinth, so it's New York, it's Las Vegas, and maybe he's one of the top brass in the city, and they're so excited that this guy's in church, that he's a part of their church, that they're willing to shove aside the fact that he's living a totally godless life, and he's having an impact on the rest of the church. And Paul said, I've heard this bad report, and he said, you guys have got to deal with this. Now, this is not a chance for you and I to go on a, a campaign against each other. In fact, when you get down to that last section, which is why I read the entire chapter, everybody here is guilty in some way or the other. Greedy, sometimes. Idolatrous. I don't have, a, I don't have any statues that I worship, but how about your car, your house, your 401k, We've all have some bits of idolatry in us, sexual perversion, thoughts, actions, deeds. So nobody gets off the hook here, all right? But it's also not an excuse to not talk about sin and call it out for what it is so that people can get right with Jesus. Because in the current state, pay attention, is the guy going to heaven or hell? He's going to hell. He's in the church. He's presumably a part of them. But Paul said, right now, I got to turn him over to Satan because if we don't, his soul's not going to be saved. So Paul was more concerned about his soul than he was about his feelings. Paul said, I got a bad report. Now, the only other place that I really get this idea it comes out of the book of Numbers when God's people had come out of, of Egypt and they're going, getting ready to cross, into, to cross the Jordan River and God told Moses to get 12 spies and send them in to see how great the land is. Everybody remember that story? Um, you can read it, it's in Numbers. But, so he picks one guy from each tribe, they cross the river, they come back, 
10 of the spies say, oh my gosh, there's giants in the land, there's fortified cities, this is undoable, we can't do this, and they wanna kill Moses. Here's what it says in Numbers. <clears throat> so the, the men Moses had sent to explore the land who returned to make the whole community grumble against him by spreading a bad report. They don't just come back with the bad report, they spread it. Now here's the thing, God never asked for their opinion. God sent them into the land, he said, Moses, send them in so you can find out how awesome this land is I'm giving you. Joshua and Caleb came back, two of the 12, and they said, we've never seen fruit so big. We've never seen vegetables so big. We've never seen such a beautiful, well-watered plain. This is incredible. The other 10 brought back their opinion. Joshua and Caleb did what God told them to do, and that was to go check it out. God doesn't want your opinion. God doesn't want my opinion. God doesn't want a denomination's opinion. God has his own opinion, and that's the only one that counts. And that's what's hard for us. Again, if I come to a spot where me and the Bible disagree, I have to assume it's me that's wrong. And until you get to that spot, you're in big trouble. And here's the hardest part for Christians. People will say, I, I've been a Christian for 75 years. And here's the follow-up question. Have you been a Christian for 75 years or have you been a Christian one year 75 times? Because the goal of being a Christian is to become more and more like Jesus, right? And that's really what's at stake here. It's the holiness of God. And Paul is saying, what kind of a witness do we have in town if you let this guy, who the rest of the town knows about, and he says, this kind of stuff is not even acceptable to Corinthians. That's how bad this was. This just doesn't even happen in their culture. And that, was, that would have been a hard push. But then he switches gears and he talks about how that one bit of yeast can destroy the whole loaf of bread. Now, where's he going? Let me help you with that. So we got a bad batch of dough. Again, going back to the Old Testament, when it was time for Passover, remember when God led the people out of Egypt, they put the blood over the door. He said, you don't have time for the bread to rise. You take the bread with you and you will eat unleavened bread. To this day, the Jewish people do it the same way. Passover week is usually very close to Easter. And it, it's the, the idea that we are remembering the blood that was shed for us, all right? That's, that's the whole imagery there. However, the week before Passover, the Jewish people get rid of all leaven in their house. They get rid of all breads, all cakes, all pies. They bring in people to clean. They have every corner swept so that there cannot even be a piece of yeast. Nothing, nothing can be left. It's totally cleared out to remember that night when God shed his blood. Now, the next verse, verse seven, says Jesus is now our Passover lamb. Jesus died for us. So, okay, what's the yeast story here? So don't invite the bad yeast back in. 
You see, once Passover is over, you don't get the old bread out of the trash and go, oh, look, the bread's still here. You start over with fresh yeast. And he's telling the church, you've got bad yeast inside the church. Now, if you've not accepted Jesus, Paul's very clear, my job is not to judge anybody that's out, outside, if you're not a Christian yet, but if you are a Christian, we gotta pay attention. If you're not a Christian, go out to guidance point in room three and they will explain the whole story of accepting Christ, repentance, baptism. If you're online, you hit the button, I've decided they, they, will, they will help you with that. But let me see if I can give you a couple of examples. Going back to South Florida, there are now Burmese pythons, as if we didn't have enough things to kill us. Now we have these huge pythons running around South Florida because people bought them as pets and turned them loose. And so you see people out there catching these things, 21 feet long, four or five guys to hold them. It's insane. And they capture them and they kill them. And, but here's, here's what the problem is. If you let one female get away, they'll lay 40 eggs and the python eats everything in his path. It'll eat all the birds, it'll eat the alligators. The python will eat everything and they do eat everything. I'll give you another example. If you went, if you went back 40 years ago, Pablo Escobar, uh, with his drug kingdom where he was running the world from Colombia, he brought in all these exotic animals from Africa and his favorite was the hippo. Hippos have no natural predators. Hippo will kill everything, including the alligator, the crocodile. Uh, the hippo will just bite the crocodile in half. He brought them in. Now he's been in hell for 40 years. But these hippos are still destroying all of Colombia. How do you eliminate hundreds and hundreds of hippos? And they keep breeding and you really can't stop them. So the damage goes way past, even after Escobar's gone, the damage is still there. Joe, what are you saying? I'm saying when you and I let a little bit of sin into our life, and this is how it works, it can't be that bad and you took the first look, the first drink, the first hit, whatever it was, and then a week, a month, a year, 10 years, 40 years later, you woke up and you said, how in the world did I get here? This is not me, because you let some of the old leaven, the old sin back into your life, and how much poison do you have to put into a loaf of bread before you don't wanna eat it? Well, maybe I won't get the peace with poison. Yeah, maybe. But that's what Paul's talking about here. And Jesus picked up this. In Luke 12, Jesus says, Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, huge crowd, Jesus takes a chance to shoot at the leaders. I love this. Jesus began to speak first to the disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, and their yeast is hypocrisy. They're phonies. They claim to be followers of God, but their lives don't line up at all with what they're teaching you. That's a frightening passage, but again, same thing. We're back to that, that yeast. So we've got a problem. We've got a bad report. We've got a bad batch of dough. And 
Paul calls for a bold action. A bold call has to be made. He said, you have to confront sin. May I suggest this first? Before we decide to go on a witch hunt against anyone else that we would start at home, that we would start with ourselves, that we would look in the mirror and say, wow, greed, idolatry, sexual thoughts, sexual actions I shouldn't have. I don't, I don't know what you're gonna see when you look in that mirror. I, I don't know what struggles you're gonna have, but it's gotta start there. Then, here's what I think is the next best thing. Let's say you've been a friend with somebody for 20 years. And for 20 years, you've been running with that friend and you've been doing the same sin for 20 years together. Didn't seem that big a deal, but it's just become a part of your life. Since you've already been doing it for so long, it would be an easy bridge to say, hey, how about you and I stop doing that together? How about you and I decide that we're gonna become more godly more holy, and people are gonna notice the change. People are gonna ask, hey, why did you stop doing that? Why did you make that change? And see, remember the goal. The goal is always to help somebody get into a better relationship with God. Yes, Paul's direct. You have to deal with this guy now until he repents. But the great thing is, he did repent. He did come around, and that is the goal of everything, not to hurt anybody, not to throw anybody out of the church. That's not what Paul is suggesting. But he is saying, if you let that go, then what's next? The next guy comes in and he does that. And then the reputation around town says, well, you know, that's the church that says you can do this, 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 and this. I'll bet they'd be okay with this too. Instead of being known as the church of holiness. Proverbs 28.1 says, the wicked man flees though no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Guys, we are called to be righteous. That means right with God. Doesn't matter what anybody else is doing, and it doesn't matter what any other church is doing, it matters what we do, that we do it the right way. I'll, I'll finish with this. I'm gonna run you through this this list of, so we've got modern Jesus and we've got biblical Jesus. Modern Jesus preaches only love. You've heard all that. Doesn't matter who you love, just love. Love is love. Biblical Jesus preaches God's righteousness. Modern Jesus gives you health and wealth. Biblical Jesus gives salvation, hope, peace, and joy. Modern Jesus never says anything negative. Biblical Jesus warns of judgment and hell. Modern Jesus, loved and accepted by the world. The biblical Jesus was hated and despised by the world. Modern Jesus serves your will, not God's will. The biblical Jesus exalt God the Father's will. Modern Jesus hates to offend you or others. Biblical Jesus offends the world with the truth. Now look, I don't know where you're at. I got plenty of problems in my own mirror without looking at your mirror. But I'm guessing that every one of us got hit with something that you're saying, wow, I gotta go home and I gotta get that bad leaven out of my life. Because if Paul were writing that letter today, he could have written about me. And I don't wanna be in that story.
If you're watching online, you're thinking, wow, what is the leaven in my life? What is that old poison that I need to get out? Listen, look in the mirror and deal with it straight up. Let's pray together. Lord, this is a tough teaching. But you didn't call us to have it easy. You called us to be godly. You called us to be righteous. So I don't know how it applies to each life. I dare say that a lot of husbands and wives don't even know how it would apply to their spouse. Because there's stuff going on inside of us that nobody knows about except me and you. So Lord, I'm asking you to break through that old leaven and help us to remember that you are our Passover lamb. You died and you rose from the dead to get that garbage out of our lives. Lord, move us to righteousness in Jesus' name, amen.